11th, and here's a proverb from uh, chapter 11, verse 18. He who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. I like that one. Lisa and I were, um, you know, I like proverbs, right? You know that about me, right? So Lisa and I were, we, we took a couple weeks to go camping, and um, I shared this with you last week. We were in Wyoming, and, uh, and t- we're, we're going to be talking a little bit over the next few weeks about advice, and I happened to pick up while I was in Wyoming, some cowboy wisdom, and I thought I'd just share a little bit of cowboy wisdom with you today. So these are, these are pretty good. Here's one. Never approach a bull from the front, a horse from the rear, or a fool from any direction. <laughs> How about this one? Don't judge people by their relatives. <laughs> you can judge me by my wife. I'll go with that far. Or my mom. Those are good ones. How about this one? Remember that silence is sometimes the best answer. Man, i got to learn that one. How about this? If you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, try ordering somebody else's dog around. <laughs> yeah, man. Now, this one is my favorite of the list that I got for today. When you're up to your nose and manure, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Not bad, not bad advice. There, there, that's good advice. There's some bad advice that kind of goes around too. And today we're going to start in a um, series and we're going to talk about some of the advice that we get that's not so good. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, why in the world do I want to go to church to hear bad advice? I mean, that doesn't make sense. And uh, the thing is that, you know, for a lot of us, or maybe all of us at some times, we, we take a look at our lives and we think, you know, it's almost as if I'm following some bad advice. And today I want to I consider some bad advice. And when you hear this bad advice in the context of church, I hope that you're going to um, go, wow, that is, it, it becomes, it's going to become more obvious, like how silly and crazy it is, and we're going to also look at some good advice, some godly advice from God's word, and I, I really think that this has the opportunity to impact us all in a positive way. So um, I want to ask you a question. Don't answer this question out loud. You don't have to raise your hands. You, can raise, you don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. It's rhetorical. Um, but I want to ask this question, and I'm going to come back to it in a moment. But how many of you would say that there was a time in your life you were actually closer to God than you are today? There was a time, you know, maybe years ago where you were more passionate about God's word and um, you would regularly and consistently put your nose in the book and, um, and, and, and you would say things to yourself, you know, I never saw that before. Or, that really spoke to me today and, and it really kind of transformed me and it just changed me. And, and there was a time in your life where, like, believe it or not, you wanted to get to church early. You'd actually get to church early, and um, you know you were excited, expecting to hear something from God when you got to church. You didn't know when it would be, or, or maybe even you were excited to bring other people to church. You know, just knowing that the Lord was going to do something in them and change their lives, and and so you 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 know you were on fire to pray faithfully, and and um, you were seeking God's will, and you you knew God was going to hear not only hear those prayers, but He was actually going to do something with it, and He did. And so just between you and yourself and nobody else, you know, how many would be honest enough with yourself to say, yeah, I had a passion like that, but somehow, somewhere, life happened, and it just, it's not that way now. And you cooled just a little bit in your passion for Jesus. And um, I think a lot of people 
would say, yeah, okay, move along, Terry, true, but let's move on now. That's not so comfortable. I mean, um, there's this, this, I have this mental picture, and it was true in my, my, my life, um, but anyway, there's a story about this man and, and woman married, and you know they'd be driving around their pickup truck, and if you were to drive up behind them, there would be nobody in the passenger seat. There'd be hubby's driving, wife is saddled right up there next to him, arms around her. You got the picture, right? You've seen it before, right? And then fast forward at 15 or some number of years, and um, you know she's thinking, honey, what happened to us? You know, remember back when, you know, we used to kind of always cuddle in the front of the pickup truck. And, uh, you know, what happened? And, and the picture, because the guy's the good guy in this story, obviously, because I'm a guy, right? He looks at her with a sheepish smile and he says, well, honey, I'm not the one who moved. Oh, oh, <laughs> okay, it's going to be like that today, huh? Okay, all right, all right. So you can change the story if you want. She can say, I mean, uh, uh, you pushed me away or something. I don't know. But if there was a time, if there was a time in your life that maybe you were a little closer to God, more closer to the presence and the person of Christ than you are today, I just want to suggest with a smile on my face that God isn't the one who moved. And we're talking about um, some bad advice today. So I'm going to give you some lessons today about how to drift away from God, okay? That's kind of crazy. I want to start with a parable that Jesus told, and he's talking about this, this some, 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 some versions will call him a sower, but we're basically talking about a farmer. It's a guy with a bag full of seed walking around and uh, throwing out the seed, hoping to find a harvest later, and this is in Matthew 13, starting in verse 3. And this is Jesus talking. He says, a, a farmer went out to sow his seed, And as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Verse 5, some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, they withered because they had had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears... Let him hear. Now, this passage is, you know, if you, a lot of Bibles, they'll give you a little paragraph header, and that's not part of the scripture, but it's, it's often called the parable of the sower. And I think it could probably more appropriately be called the parable of the soil. Because it's more about what the soil did um, to the seed than what the sower did. And Jesus was ba- basically saying to this group of people who were listening to him, you're all actually different kinds of soil. And our challenge is to ask ourselves, you know, Terry, what kind of soil are you? Ask ourselves, what kind of soil do you think I might be? And in verse 19, Jesus starts explaining um, the meanings of this parable, and he's talking to people who were along the path. The first example, Matthew 13, verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, that's Satan, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And in fact, that is sadly, in every crowd, there's going to be some people in every one of these categories and some of us today. You know, today in church, 
God's word is going to be sown towards, towards you, and when you hear it, it just isn't going to make any sense. It's going to be, you know, instead you'll be thinking, you know, why wasn't he funny today? Why did he say that thing about women in a pickup truck? I mean, that, was, that kind of ticked me off. And, and, you know, there weren't enough cat jokes. There's never enough cat jokes, okay? And, um, you know, I don't like his shoes, and, you know, the music was too loud. You know, this, and, and, and the risk is that you'll go away completely the same way that you came in, untouched by the Word of God. And, um, you know, it's as if, if, if you, you hear the Word and nothing happens in your heart. You go along your way. Then he talks about the rocky ground, verses 20 and 21. He says, The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the Word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, he quickly falls away. And, you know, that could be some of us today, too. You know, you're going to hear this. You'll hear it with joy. You know, yeah, I want to be closer to God again. That's, that's great. And you feel, you know, you're kind of like the lady. You scoot over next to the hubby in the truck, and you get closer to God, and you, you just commit yourself. And I'm going to study the Bible more, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start serving. And in fact, I'm going to start a Bible reading program, and every day I'm going to do this, and, and I'm going to get closer to God. And, and for a little while, you will. And then something's going to happen. And you'll get a bad report or somebody will make fun of you and say, hey, aren't you little Miss Religious Goody Two Shoes? <laughs> or something. And, you know, something's going to happen and you go, well, I was not ready for this to happen in my life. And instead of living with passion, you fall away. And Jesus said that's what happens when the seed falls along rocky ground. And then in verse 22, he says... The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. The worries of life, you know, guess what? That's going to be some of us here too. And this isn't bad people. This is good people. You know, you might be sitting right next to someone who the worries of life is, or, or you could be that person. And this is somebody who really wants to get it right. But what happens is we just get preoccupied with life, you know. I'm a student, and i got to work hard at doing this, and I don't want to be up to here in debt when I get done, and I've got tests, i got to study really hard, or I just got married, and, and we're newlyweds, and we're trying to figure this thing out, and, you know, she squeezes the toothpaste from the front, the top, <laughs> and, you know, He's saying, she's saying, but he puts butter in the refrigerator. Who does that? I get, it breaks my toast when it's so hard. I mean, and, you know, you, you know, we kissed a little bit too much, and now we got a baby on the way. And, 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 then, and now we got a baby on the way, and we got a minivan. And I said, I'm never going to drive a minivan. And here I am driving a minivan, and we own a house, and we got a yard, and we got, you know, a mortgage to pay and credit card bills. And, two children and a new stroller and you know and it life just kind of happens you don't mean to but you just get busy and the worries of life choke out the word of god in verse 23 and jesus keeps going he says but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil and i want to say i really believe that's a lot of people here today probably most of us a lot of people here you know your heart is good soil and God's been working in your heart, and he's been preparing you. And, and when his word lands in your heart, you know, the, the kingdom sees 
a divine harvest. Something really good gets produced. And that seed falls on good soil. Okay, so he says, and that seed fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. I love those little voices. Well, good to have a little one in church <laughs> who can talk. I can only see the back of the head, though. From it. That's better. Okay, all right, sorry. That's selfish. Anyway, he says, a crop yielding 160 or 30 times. Now, these comments from Jesus, the statistics he used here, probably made the people look at him and go, what, 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 what? Wait, wait a second. I mean, here's some context for you. Jesus, this was an agrarian society. They grew crops, basically, to keep their economy going. And if you, um, you know, they would, they would all know that, that if you planted and you got an eightfold or a ten times return of what you put into the ground, that was something and you'd be excited about it. Eight or tenfold. Thirtyfold, that's kind of unheard of. Sixtyfold, okay, now we're talking a miracle. A hundredfold, nothing could, only God could do that. So he's saying, you know, he, he's saying when, when the word of God is planted in a heart and it lands in good soil, the Lord can do things there that go beyond what you can imagine or dream or believe. So with all that, you know, go back to that opening question. I think many of us admitted to ourselves and maybe to God that there was a time when we were a little bit closer to him. And somehow I've drifted away. And that drift happens so easily. It just it seems like that's, the, that's what happens naturally if we don't do something about it. When I was this little kid, when I was a little, little tiny kid, I have some very, very early memories, and I can't even remember where this was. I don't know how old I was. I would guess four or five, maybe. Maybe mom can tell me about it later, but we went on this lake vacation and somewhere north of Spokane. I grew up in Spokane, and I don't remember too, what, too much about this, but I just remember being a little guy, didn't know how to swim yet. Didn't, was kind of afraid of the water, but not really afraid enough to stay out of it. Um, kind of didn't respect it. Kind of, I don't know, just a little boy. And um, here we are at this lake, and for some reason we had all of these, you know, you know those like really, really cheap inflatable mattresses that, you know, they last for a while, and then for some reason they leak, and they, okay. We had some of those, and my mother was kind of, you know, crazy passionate about, you know, some, some rules here. You will wear a life jacket. You'll, you know, you'll be safe. You wear a life jacket and you can go in the water on the raft, but you got to stay in the water where you can touch. Now that didn't mean standing here holding onto the raft. That meant laying on the raft, reaching down and touching. Okay. We're not talking about much water here. And, um, I thought, okay, so I, I don't remember too much about this except spending time on these rafts. Two things I remember, spending time on these rafts and mom bought this pop. And the pop was, you know, was a big old thing of it, and every pop was a different color and a different flavor. Do you remember that? Oh, it was really great. There was grape, and there was orange, and there was root beer, and who wants lemon lime when you got all this other cool stuff, you know? Anyway, so um, that has nothing to do with God or this word. I'm just having this little flesh fantasy back here remembering my flavor. Anyway, so um, I remember that and the rafts. And um, so I'm out there playing around on the raft, you know, and I got to where I could go pretty fast, you know, if you, if, you, if you use your hands together like oars and you coordinate it, but you can 
You could scoot, especially if you're a little guy in this great big long raft. And Shelly's raft, my older sister, seemed like it was leaking and she was bigger, so I could always go faster than Shelly. I love that. It was just really good to um, out-raft my bigger sister. And you know what happens when you play in the water. You pretty much start to lose track of where you are. And um, I was playing and I wasn't paying attention and and the life jacket was kind of a bother and you know, and it chafed a little bit, so <laughs> off it went. Okay, so now I'm on the raft, and I'm out there playing, and um, time passed, and eventually I looked up, and I realized I had failed to cooperate with Mom's rules. I was no longer where I could reach down. In fact, I was a couple of hundred feet from shore. And um, I was in deep water, didn't know how to swim, on a raft that at any time, for its own reasons could have let me down and I would have been in deep water literally and without intending to I had unknowingly drifted away and I drifted away from safety I was just enjoying the sun and I was enjoying the beach and enjoying the water and I didn't even recognize what was happening as I drifted away I want to say that I think that there are many probably in this room right now that don't really even recognize how far we have drifted away from the strength of God, from the presence of God, from, from the goodness and the grace of our God. Hebrews 2.1 talks about this. It says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So here's what I want to do today. <laughs> okay, I'm going to share some bad advice. <laughs> this is going to be hard. This is, I'm going to share some bad advice. Okay, are you, are you all ready to hear some bad advice? No. <laughs> Good. Because, I mean, if you ever just wake up and you're, you're tired of the presence of God and you just can't take it anymore and you're just, there's been joy and it's filling your life and... You sense God leading you and you know the Holy Spirit speaks to you and good things happen and you pray and you see results and you read God's word and it's fulfilling you and God's using you in people's life and you just can't stand it anymore. You just cannot take all this good stuff. And um, you say, I just can't take it. I just can't take all this stuff in my life. But I want to give you some advice for, for how to drift away from God. Okay, you ready? Tell me you're ready. Okay, so, so here, here's one. First one, this is really important. How to drift from God, number one, neglect your time with God. Number one, Psalm 63, David's in the desert of Judah, and he cries out. He says, you, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Don't do that. Don't seek God. Don't yearn for him. Don't crave his presence, you know, because that'll only make you closer to him. So <laughs> just don't do that. Neglect your time with God. And while we're at it, don't, don't start up any Bible reading program. I mean, because you'll start getting God's word in your soul, and, you know, God's word is living and active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And, you know, it washes your mind, it renews you, and it refreshes you, and encourages you, and builds your faith, and, and it gives you strength. By all means, neglect the word of God. By all means, you know. And don't let your friends come along and support you because they'll just start, you know, 
encouraging you. And listen, don't ever worship. Do not worship. I mean, if you go to church, don't worship. Just sit there and look at the lights. Just, <laughs> just do that and, or come in late. And if you happen to be here during worship, just don't pay attention to it. I mean, how am I doing, Alex, so far? Really good? Can I help you out? Or if, it, if you could help it, just don't go to church at all. Now, obviously, you're all here, so you're already breaking that rule. But, you know, just, just um, you know, or like the average American Christian. You know, the average American Christian only goes to church once a month. And it's like, okay, so whatever you do, don't get involved. Just don't use your gifts. Don't pray. Don't seek God. <laughs> can't believe I'm saying this in a sermon. Okay, just number one way to drift from God, ignore him and neglect your time with God. That's the number one thing. Number two. If you really want to drift from God, is this. Hang around with the wrong people. Hang around with the wrong people because, you know, it's impossible to live the right life with the wrong people. I mean, if you want to be outside the will of God, make sure you hang around with, with, with ungodly people. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, this is powerful. Parents, this should be a parenting scripture on your refrigerator. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If you want to drift from God, don't hang around with, with people who are faithful in their walk with Jesus. You know why? Because they'll encourage you. They'll, you know, they might hold you accountable like iron sharpens iron. They, they might pray for you. They might make you better. They might, might help you be more like Christ. You know, and okay, I, here's one. If you really want to go for this, hanging with the wrong people, if you really want to go for this, I can't believe I'm going to say this. If you're not married, marry someone who doesn't love Christ. Ooh. Now, I'm not talking about if you've been fooled. I'm talking about intentionally thinking, well, he, she doesn't love God. Um, uh, I, I can maybe change them. But in any case, our love will prevail. If you really want to drift from God, hang around with the wrong people. And but I can't believe you guys aren't cheering because this is really good material. You know, you should be encouraging me on Eggman. Okay, number three, if you want to drift from God, here's this one. Give in to temptation and do it over and over and over again. Never resist it because sin is fun, right? I mean, don't you agree sin is fun? How many think sin is fun? Okay, everybody who didn't raise their hands, you're either lying or you didn't do it right. (laughs) Because it's fun for a while and then it kind of, kicks you in the tail side, you know. Sin is kind of like a sneeze. <laughs> Feels good going out, and then there's goo, whatever. <laughs> I've said that before. My mother told me not to ever do that again. I want you to know that she does not own that statement. <laughs> you know, James, the brother of Jesus, made a comment about this. James 1, verse 4. He says, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away. This imagery is something, you know. You're serving Jesus and you're tempted and dragged away. By their own evil desire and enticed. Verse 15, then after desire has conceived and it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Death? Really, Terry? Death? What dies? Well, joy. Joy passion, life, faith. I mean, it can get way worse. And so when you're tempted, if you want to drift from God, don't fight it. 
Just give into it. Tell yourself, well, this is the way I am. This is one of those two or three things God knows, he understands. And by the way, if I just go ahead and do it and ask him to, he's going to forgive me anyway. So above all else, you know, hide your sins, rationalize them. Don't tell anybody. You want to drift from God, give into temptation. So neglect your time, hang around with the wrong people, give into temptation. Number four, I am going to get through this, by the way, okay? Number four, if you want to drift from God, love this world more than you love God. Love this, this world more than you love God. First John 2, John says this. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you want to drift from God, fall in love with this world. I mean, believe that this world is your home. You know, sell out to materialism. Get more and more. And if you have to, just get in debt to do it. You know, because then you can have, you know, financial bondage right there with materialism. And here's the key to this thing. If you're going to love the world more than God, it, it's, it's, it's to obsess about things. Don't just like things. You need to obsess about them. I mean... I mean, it's, we can all enjoy things. We, we, I should have worn my Seahawks jersey today, by the way. Go Hawks, right? And I don't care if Mershon Lynch comes back or not. Seahawks are going to rule the ground. Can I talk about the Seahawks in the middle of a sermon? I guess I can't. Okay, so. Um, but this is a sermon about drifting away from God. Can't I drift away from the sermon for just a minute? So, okay. So. But the thing is, don't just love sports. Obsess about them. Make them be the middle of everything. Do, you know, no matter what. And, and you know, I mean, sports and fitness. Fitness is good. We should all do what, but, but obsess about it. That's even better. Just, you know, get a hobby. Get all into it. Make, exclude everything else. Relationships can suffer. God, you know, whatever it takes to stop being connected to God. So... Love and pursue the things of this world more than you love and pursue the things of God. Number five, this is the last one, by the way, on this list. If all else fails, fake it. Fake it. Just fake that you're still close to Jesus, and it's a guarantee that you will drift from the Lord. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says this. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but where's their heart? He's going to answer that. But their hearts are far from me. And here's the thing. You don't have to be incredibly, incredibly immoral. You can just fake it. You know, when you come to church, you just, you know, during worship, put your hands up in the air. You can dry your nails, dry your pits if they're wet. <laughs> or you just can exercise your flapping muscles, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm cooling down up here. I'm kind of liking this. You know, and you can fight all the way to church with your spouse. And then when you get to church, you could just... Click into Christianese, you know. Hey, hallelujah, praise the Lord, brother, you know. And <laughs> you can fool everybody, you can just fake it. Now, I gotta say, being that sarcastic for that long in a sermon, that was hard. And I am glad to be done with that. Are you glad I'm done with that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I hope, though, that that exercise. Um, in sarcasm really helps to underscore how silly um, some of that thinking is, yet there could be areas in our lives that those comments may be touched in a little bit too close. And I think for many of us, we could be following some of those comments. And the reason I was so insistent on trying to make those points 
isn't because I want to come down on any one of you. But it's because this, some of these issues, probably all of them at some point, were a very significant issue in my life at one point or another, you know, including in my development as a pastor. I mean, Lisa and I, shortly after we were married, we just had our 42nd wedding anniversary. Was it 40? 41? 41? 43? See, 75, 41. Is that right? Forgive me for my math skills, I'm sorry. I love you. You, you did really well to put up with that. So um, <laughs> anyway, long time ago, we were young, young married, and um, we were involved in a large Assemblies of God church. And we knew that the Lord was stirring something in our hearts about leadership in the church. We didn't have a good picture on it, but we knew that the Lord would, was calling us to lead in different ways. And so we, um, we were starting a young marriage ministry, and you know, we just, I was green behind the ears. I had this impression that if you became a leader in the body of Christ, certain things would start happening. You know, like your Bible would start to hover above your desk. <laughs> and, you know, if you'd go to a prayer meeting... And, or, or some kind of a meeting like that, you know, you, you, people would just all be holy and everybody would just get along and, you know, life would just be a brownie with chocolate ice cream on the top and, you know, just really good. And, and now you need to understand what I'm going to tell you is that we were very young and I was a very young developing leader in the body of Christ. And um, I ended up more playing a role more than I was pursuing Christ. And I'm not proud about that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I played a role. And, I, and if I would see someone who was hurting, I'd say, you know, hey, I'm praying for you. And I wasn't. It's terrible. And many times when I would spend time in the Word of God, I was not so much waiting on the Lord to to get into my heart and to shape me and to enlarge me as much as I was looking for a handy quote that I'd be able to give if somebody asked me something. I wanted to impress people. And um, I remember one time walking down the hallway of this large church with all these people in it. And I walked past this guy and I said, how you doing? And I didn't care. It was a greeting. But behind the greeting was just a shallowness in me. And he stopped in the hallway and he looked me in the eye and he said, bad. That was his answer. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't conform with social norms. You're supposed to say good even if you are doing bad. Now what do I do? He didn't just say bad and keep walking. He said bad and stood there and looked at me. Like, what are you going to do now, big boy? And um, I, I don't remember what I did physically but in my heart, I folded. <laughs> I mean, I, I just realized I was a fake. I wasn't really pursuing God in his word. I, was, I looked at my own heart, and I saw something. I'm not, I wasn't proud then. I'm not proud of now. And I felt like I was just had turned into this part-time follower of Christ. I just turned into this person who would do what made me look good and what would serve my interests. And um, 
I was a part-time follower of Christ. And I don't know what your image would be. It probably isn't some terrible thing like that. As it is, but, but, you know, I mean, some of us might look at our circumstances and say, yeah, I could be kind of a part-time follower. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm focused on being a parent. I'm a full-time parent, and I'm a part-time follower of Christ, or I'm a full-time student, and a part-time, I'm a full-time business owner, and a part-time follower. I mean, there's just fill in the blank, because if, back up earlier this morning, if there was a time that you were actually closer to Jesus than you are today, the next obvious question is what happened? It's what happened. Because we got to realize he didn't move away from us. We're the ones that drifted. And here's the deal. If at this moment you are feeling a little bit of conviction, carefully chosen word, conviction is a good thing. Conviction is where the Holy Spirit says, hey, I love you and I want to point out something to you because I want to help you. It's not the same as condemnation. Condemnation is not birthed in heaven, it's birthed in hell. And it says, oh, you're going to never amount to anything. Here's another failure in your life. You're no good. That is not God. And not a single one of you needs to feel condemnation. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. None. None. So if you're feeling a little bit of conviction, that's actually a good thing. It's something where the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, okay, Terry, this is why I wanted to talk to you about your heart over there during worship, Terry, because that's conviction. That's an example of conviction, and it's a good thing. And I've also learned over the years, um, I'm not always successful at this, because sometimes I'm just cranky sinful, whatever, but I've tried to learn that when the Lord wants to convict me and change me, I would rather respond when he's whispering than, than all the succeeding steps till the one where that lovingly two-by-four hits you upside the head, kind of, you know, I always think, you know, the leverage from heaven with a two-by-four is massive by the time it goes right there. Um, but God loves us enough that he'll keep convicting us in whatever volume we require because he loves us so if 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 that's going on in you be encouraged that's a good thing that's something something the lord is doing if on the other hand though you know that you've drifted away from god and you're hearing this and you're thinking i don't really like this message why do you have to talk about this today you could talk about something else why am i even here today if, if you know you've drifted from God and that's your attitude, I just want to lovingly encourage you to be careful. Really be careful. Be aware. Pay attention because your heart might be the rocky soil. It could be the thorny soil. And if that's the case, that's the time for you to turn and say, Lord, help me here. I'm struggling. i got some issues. But help. Help make it good, Lord. Help make my soil Good. Revelation 3, verse 1, Jesus is talking to a church in a place called Sardis, and he says this. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. In other words, you know, you, you, you think you're alive. You have this reputation for, yeah, yeah he's a Christian. He's, she's, she's a Christian. You know, he got baptized when he was whatever, and, you know, um, you have a reputation for being alive. But then Jesus said, but you're dead. The scary thing is, 
that some of us maybe have a reputation for being a follower of Jesus, you know, because why would we have that? Because we really, there was a time when we really were passionate about him. But if you're really honest, you know, you look at this and say, well, I'm not really dead, but I'm just not so passionate. There was a time, and here I am today, and I maybe have drifted some. And you have a reputation for being alive, but the fact is, you're really not. What do we do? What do we do? Well, here's what we do. We recognize this can be an issue for us. And this is Jesus talking again. It's loving, loving advice from him in Revelation 2. Um, verses 4 and 5. He's talking about returning to, to our first love. And these are pretty strong words, but it's loving. He says this to the church in Ephesus. You know, there was a time you were more passionate about God. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Then he says this, consider how far you have fallen. And maybe that's something that many of us just need to do right now. We need to consider where we were and where we are. Consider how far you've drifted away. And then Jesus gives this very simple, very direct solution. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. That word repent, we don't like that word. I mean, it's not very socially, it's not very PC and you don't see it a lot. And um, you know, what does the re- word repent mean? I think we know what it means. I, I think if you've been in church very long, you've heard a pastor somewhere say the word repent literally means turn, turn. I mean, it, 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 that's correct. Another translation, uh, another way to, to interpret it is turn back to that which is highest. Okay, that's what the word repent means. The word repent here is metneo, metnoeo. And um, it's actually two root words. Here comes some nerd stuff, but this is pretty cool nerd stuff. Metanoeo, meta means after that. Noeo means exercise the mind. The word repent literally means after that, exercise the mind. This word repent, Jesus used, this Greek word, metanoeo. The concept is this. Examine the truth, reconsider, and then think differently than you did before. McFly McFly, you know, what does that mean? It means I'm going to go back to that which is highest. It means I'm turning back to God. It means I'm going to do the things that I did at first. I don't know what that means for you. I know what kinds of things I did at first. I mean, I know what I did. I was passionate about God and his word, and I shared my faith. I prayed, you know, a lot. It wasn't always on my knees, formal prayers. It was constant conversational walking with God kind of prayer you know church church wasn't an option church was you know it wasn't a duty it was who I am it's wanting to be in the house of the Lord it's, it's where I belong and, and using my gifts you know whatever they were belong to God he put them there use them whatever they happen to be hospitality whatever your gifts are I, I, would, I mean and it wasn't some sort of a religious ritual that I would go through in order to exercise the gifts and so forth. It was, it was just it wasn't because I wanted people to see it. It was just, you know, it was a response to the grace of Jesus. It was a response to the, the one who took this person who was lost and dead and hurting 
And my only response to that that I could see was reasonable was to just give the Lord my life. So, what do you do if you recognize that you've drifted away from God? Well, first off, don't sell out to the things of the world. Don't be held in bondage to temptation. Don't be dragged down by the wrong people. You know, I want to be a light that drives people closer to the Lord, not be pulled away. And I want to neglect the very God who sent his son for me. I want to put him first. I want to, I want to love his church. I want to embrace his word. I want, I want to be filled with the spirit. I just want to be led every day by the one who gave his life for me. And when you do that and you wake up and you realized that you've drifted, you will also know that the Lord never moved away from you. He never did. And when you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Scripture tells us that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. I just want to say to you right now, in front of God and everybody, if your relationship with the Lord never really existed, that's a bigger problem. Eternity will determine, your eternity will be determined based on your relationship with Christ. If you never opened your heart to the Lord, you should do that and say, God, I, I want to have a close relationship with you. It's not enough to be closer to God. It's only enough to be close to God. There's a big difference. I encourage you, if you've never opened your heart, to do that. This is good advice. This is godly advice that can transform our lives. Let's pray. God, I want to pray as we sit or stand in your presence. I think sometimes the way we live or the things we do maybe might look like we follow bad advice. But Lord, as we stand in your presence, as we stand in the presence of light and love, we realize that there is a heaven calling that says, I love you like crazy and I want the best for you. Lord, I know that when it comes down to it, you're not looking for church members and you're not looking for people to do things for you. You're looking for people who will receive from you the love that you give so freely. God, let our hearts be open to that so that we can reap a 30 or a 60 or a 100-fold spiritual harvest. Keeping your eyes closed, I'd like all eyes to be closed. I want you to say, to, to, to answer that question, are you, was there a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are today? And you would just acknowledge that with God and say, I, I, I realize that I've drifted a little bit or a lot, God, and I'd like to change that. Just admit that to God. Lord, you hear our hearts. You hear the things we're saying to you in these prayers. Lord, thank you for the fact that you never left us that the footprints that were in the sand, so to speak, that's always been you there with us, carrying us when we need to be carried. Lord, draw us in. Help us, Lord, to make the kinds of decisions and to be in the kind of place in our heart where you can find good soil, good soil. Lord, forgive us for those seasons where our soil's been thorny or along the path or rocky. And maybe, Lord, where it's been intentional or selfish, forgive us for that, God. We love you, and, and we, we just ask you to forgive us. Now, Lord, um, I pray that your mighty spirit, Lord, would have sway with our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.
You can keep your eyes closed, church. I'm going to ask.